Welcome to Beer Life. My name is Jordan Foss, and on today's episode, I have Chris Bierzegard from Vancouver Island Brewing. Uh, we're going to talk with Chris today about his involvement in Vancouver Craft Beer Week. We're going to talk about the misstep of the original rebrand of Vancouver Island to VI and how they've adjusted to something they're more proud of now. We're going to talk about how doing business on Vancouver Island is way different than doing business in Metro Vancouver and why mainland-based breweries often struggle selling beer on the island. Here we go with Episode 7 of Beer Life. Uh, hey, Chris, thanks for being on the show today. Uh, great to be here, man. Uh, you ferry over this morning? Yeah. What, bright and early. What ferry were you on? I was on the 7, which means you get up at 5.30 in the morning to make sure you get your reservation, but it's pretty smooth. Were you, am I the reason why you got here so early? Were you yeah, even, pretty much. That's great. I appreciate that because <laughs> we actually had Josh Vanderhyde on the show and he was so, thought he was so important that he didn't do my 9.30 start time like a regular human would. And he's like, no, we have to do it at 1.30 in the afternoon. And it was a major pain in the ass. So I appreciate it. <laughs> no problem. You're already, you're he, already a better guy than Josh. Yeah. He claimed it was because he was working, but yeah. He definitely is not. He's going around just being beer Jesus, preaching to everybody. No, he's great. He's great. Um, okay, well, let's start. What got you into beer? Um, you know what? It's actually a funny story. I I was, like, really into uh, this job that uh, I, I was uh, the contracted marketing person for this software company. Um, and it, it was in the entertainment field. I won't get into too much in it because I don't want to put people on blast, but uh, I basically was contracted to be there so they could say they had a marketing person, but oh. they had nothing for me to market yet because they were still building it out. So they just paid you to hang out? Kind of. Like, I would do stuff. I, I would help. That's with, like, like what I do for Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> More fundraising plans. Like, I would do stuff, but it wasn't a full-time job. Yeah. And so I had a lot of free time on my hands. And this was right as, like, personal branding and all that stuff was starting to emerge. And What year? And, um, probably 2008. Okay, yeah. 2008-ish. And then I, I was like, well, I should start a blog or start, I have all this free time. I'm a marketer. I should try and explore this if for no other reason to understand it better, not yeah. necessarily to like make myself famous. And I was like, what am I going to write about? And there were only really two things that I, that I was like, what could I really get into? And one was mixed martial arts, which already had a ton of voices in that scene. And like, also it would have been fairly expensive because to like cover anything of note, you'd be going to Vegas all the time, et cetera. Yeah. Other, like trying to cover the local scene, there wasn't enough going on. Yeah. Um, and I was like, eh, and there's a lot of people who already do that. And I was like, I do really like beer though. And like, I knew nothing about it, but I was like, I've noticed that like when you'd go to the BCL, there'd be the wall of single bottles. Yeah. Like I started to, to my blinders of like uh, macro had kind of been taken off. So I was like, it'd be cool to just document my exploration of what the heck this is. Interesting. Um, so that's kind of how I got into it. And it was MMA or beer. Yeah. It was very odd. <laughs> that's great. Two choices. Mine was beer. And sandwiches. I, I did the <laughs> yeah, both. You you done, them. Yeah, you should have yeah. done MMA and beer together. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that would have been interesting. What pairs well with a rear naked choke? Yeah. Yeah. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> it's an MMA thing. You Google oh, it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I want to Google that. I'm worried about what <laughs> yeah. I could see. Um, so you're, so you, start the, you start this blog on, on beer. Yeah, exactly. And then I move forward and kind of, you know, check out like Cascaville and start exploring the scene that exists in British Columbia. And, yeah. Um, 
you know, I was I was blogging for I would say what feels like ten minutes in the grand scheme of things, yeah. and then got approached because people figured out I was a marketing guy who had worked for all these software companies and was a consultant, and I got approached to be one of the uh, twelve some people that started Vancouver Craft Beer Week. Right. Cool. Yeah. Okay. And th- so you got approached to start Vancouver Craft Beer Week. Um, so the Vancouver Craft Beer was already kind of in motion, and then somebody's like, "We should reach out to to Chris." Uh, no, I was part of the original first meeting. So okay. the, the idea came from uh, Jerry Arith, who now is one of the owners of BC Beer Awards. Okay, uh, and Rick Green. Yeah, they were all sit- always sitting around, being like, "Why does Victoria have the biggest festival?" Right. Yeah. It, when Vancouver's so much of a larger place, and like it would seem logical, we could make a larger festival here. Yeah. Um, but then quickly realizing the cost associated with running a festival which is uh, of like a proper scale is yeah. astronomical and terrifying so we started seeing that they started seeing these beer week things popping up like philly beer week and that where it was more about events and individual locations and the costs associated were fairly low because on-premise locations had you know the the space for you and right. they already had the liquor license and you could just create events yeah um so, but they were like, we don't know anybody in restaurants. We don't know how to market the thing. We don't know how to run events. Like they, they kind of were like, we have this great idea and have no ability to execute it. Right. So that's how Paul Kamen got on. Cause he was running urban diner at the time and knew all the restaurateurs. I got pulled in for marketing. Um, Leah got pulled in cause of her experiences at like Glastonbury and a bunch of other yeah. major events she had done uh, along with a bunch of other people who were passionate and interested like Daniel Nibs yeah. uh, was brought in cause of graphic design skill, things of that cool. nature. Yeah. That's cool. It's like a, it, that's like the who's who still. It's neat now because it's um, when we're recording this. Obviously, it's VCBW this weekend. Unfortunately, this will air a little bit after that. But it's the 10th year anniversary of VCBW, uh, so it's fitting that we're we're talking. Um, and all of those those the people that you've named are still active in in you know in the Vancouver industry. You know, most of them, anyways, yeah, right? Absolutely. Which is kind of cool to see that. Um, you know, that they've all helped to kind of kick off what we get to enjoy now. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's kind of funny because like, we'll often people will be like, well, why is it four of you now? And it's like, that's because that's how festivals go. Yeah. Like, it's funny. I actually, within the first year I was sitting there, I think it was the like first event and it was Hoppapalooza and I was sitting there and someone came up to me and they were like, he was like, yeah. And he had ran Jazz Fest and was on the team for a long time. And he's yeah. like, so who's the... Who's the three or four of you that are actually going to like do this thing moving forward? Yeah. I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, oh, I've been part of festivals. I've seen multiple ones, unless they're actually ran by a corporation, like say a Blueprinter or yeah. Live Nation or something that does this as like a full-time thing. He's like, there's always like three or four people who actually want to do the work. And they in, don't just want to show up or the t-shirt, you know, right. get the glory or, or what have you, or like came up with the idea, but like the idea he's like, but when it comes down to like, when you're shoving glassware into the back of your car yeah. and driving it around the city, who are the four of you? And yeah, so it was funny. That's, it basically turned out being three. And then we added one a couple of years later. Right. So it's, who are the, who is the four of you now? So it's, uh, Leah Hennigan and Paul yeah. Kamen, yeah. uh, who are originals with me. And then we added Tyler Olson. Yeah. Um, I think I think we he we contracted work from him in years two and three and then made him a partner in four because we're like we can't afford you, yeah. So we'll make you a partner and then you <laughs> can make no money like we do. You tricky guys. <laughs> yeah. So how has um, 
let's talk about the first ever VCBW. Where was it? How did it go down? How many breweries? Like, was it everything you thought it was going to be? How, how did it all work? Yeah, I mean, it, it was venues across the city for the okay. most part. I mean, it kicked off with Hoppapalooza, which uh, just on Sunday was like kind of the return of it yep. to VCBW and, and also Nigel's Thousand Beer List and yep. all the other uh, wacky Oh, I was there drinking at 11 a.m. with oh, everybody else. Yeah. I imagine so. Yeah. I imagine yeah. so. I was sad I couldn't make it yeah. out for that one. But, uh, you know, so aside from all the venue events across the city, yeah. uh, it was... The big event was at the Heritage Hall on Main Street. Okay, sweet. I figure maybe 150, 100 people. Yeah. And like 15 breweries yeah. showcasing what they were doing. And I mean, at the time, there was probably 30, 40 in the province. Yeah. So like that's actually was a quite solid representation in one spot. So, uh, you know, it was interesting. We That was also BC Beer Awards at the time. That was the first BC Beer oh, okay. Awards. Because BC Beer Awards and VCBW were a singular unit. Oh, I didn't and know that. And then Jerry and Chester broke off to do BC, to BC Beer Awards, Awards outside of VCBW just because of some, you know, priority differences, basically. Yeah. And we were like, and how you would run and maintain and operate this thing. And it's interesting because they obviously moved theirs towards October and theirs has become extremely successful and ours has become extremely yeah. successful. And it actually... In, in hindsight, having them together would almost be too much. I, I agree. Yeah. I was just thinking that. I'm like, you know what? If, you know, from a, a guy that's whose brewery is going to have five years this year, and I've only ever known VCBW and the BC Beer Awards to be separate, um, it's nice to not have to, especially during festival season in the spring, summer, like, it's it's it would be too much it would be insane right and it's just nice especially for i mean the bc beer awards to have them in october where it's generally slower in our industry yeah. and so it's just something to be able to look forward to and yeah. to do versus and, the kickoff to insanity that is yeah. summer in the beer industry no kidding. Yeah. yeah yeah so the um so then how has vcbw evolved um from from year one to where it is today what kind of decisions did you guys make based on where festival culture is going, where the Vancouver scene is, is started to grow into, um, you know, kind of take me through the evolution of, of year one to, to year 10 now at, at the PE, which is a, a two day festival, right? Yeah. Uh, well, a lot of it was, we were very much still satellite event focused throughout the, the first number of years. Um, and that was partially so we could actually like, you know, do event fees and various things. And, and, you know, we would never take a cut of tickets, but with, there was always some sort of cost associated for the venue for yeah. us to come in and help them run a VCBW event. And the only reason why we did those was so we could gain the capital to continue to investing in larger and larger actual festivals. So yeah. uh, I guess the focus was, is like over time, the festival became larger and larger and larger. And, and we de-emphasized our participation in the more satellite events yeah. and we actually got it to the point where the festival got large enough where it could functionally self-sustain yeah and so we could go okay we don't have to like operate these satellite events anymore we don't have to be picky and choosy about how they're done yeah we can now truly open this up to a entire citywide craft beer week where you know we have some levels of curation where we're keeping our eyes on it it's not yeah. like you know um a, a macro could Trojan horse their pseudo craft in and we wouldn't notice. Right. Yeah. Uh, but you know, for the most part, anybody across greater Vancouver can apply and throw up an event listing and yeah. you know, they, it's on them to operate the event. Like we, you know, if we ever get feedback from somebody, we go, okay, here's who operated the event. Please tell them these are right. the only two events we operate. Cause like, that was going to be my next question, yeah. right? When you allow, you know, satellite events to operate and, and on their own, um, you know, 
in, unless you're pretty clear that those people, you know, Steel and Oak is running the Steel and Oak event, you know, it could sully the brand if it's not run properly. And it's right? something we were nervous about yeah. for, for a long time, and which is why we still held it close to the chest. But yeah. I think at this stage, uh, enough people know now. Yeah. And we also kind of know... Like, if it's someone who's never ran an event before, we'll check with them and be like, "Are you, do you know what you're getting into? Do you know the process? Like, you know, the, we'll still, we're not complete absentee landlords because our brand still is at stake, but a lot of them are repeat people. Like, Devil's Elbow is doing fruit, and you know, like, the, there's, there's all, a lot of the events are taking place at either breweries, which is fantastic, yeah. and if you're a brewery, you better know how to run a beer event. Yeah. Um, and outside of that venues who are very beer focused and already understand and like are concerned about their reputations as well. Right. So, uh, it's a little bit, it's not like the old days where pretty much every on-premise place in the province outside of alibi room and maybe say, and like St. Augs had no idea what they were doing with beer. Yeah. Like beer was a foreign entity to them. They may had a good wine list. They maybe had cocktails if you were lucky. And then they had, like Stella on tap. And that was your craft option. I'll have some Stella, okay. maybe an Alexander Keith, if, yeah, if I'm lucky, right? I remember always thinking if it was in a green bottle, that it meant it was, it was craft. It was, yeah, or yeah, it was high that quality. Was, that was high quality yeah. beer, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, how times have changed. I know, I've learned, I've learned. Um, I remember my first VCBW, Steel and Oaks first VCBW. We, we were just going to, we actually hadn't even opened yet. We are supposed to open the doors the next week. It was beside, I think it was the Camby Bridge, down um, the down dust there. bowl yeah, the, the dust gravel, bowl, gravel dust yeah, bowl. Yeah. and I remember we were set up beside the bathroom uh, not like right beside the bathroom I don't want to make it sound like the, you guys put us next to the toilets <laughs> but we were the, the, the entryway to get into the toilets uh, we were there and we only had one beer on tap smoked half of ice and it was the only beer that we had ready and it, I remember it just being it was awesome right and we had this massive lineup and it was sunny and yeah it was dusty but it was kind of added to the to the, the mystique of, of you know how I guess I don't want to say grungy, but like urban, like the industry should feel. It's like you know, it's it's kind of the you know you've got wine over here, and then we're craft beer. It's it's a little bit more edgy. It's different, right? But I remember being by the bathroom was actually awesome because everybody had to pee all day, and so like we would always have a steady stream of uh, no, <laughs> no pun intended, no pun intended. Um, you know, of people just you know trying the beer, and it was it was great. And I remember like. It was just such a cool opportunity to get feedback from people. And um, and then I think the next year, right away, you guys moved to the Peony Fairgrounds, I believe, yeah, right? That, yeah, that was the Dust Bowl was like the last of the traveling road show where yeah. we yeah. moved the venue every year. And uh, a lot of it was because Vancouver is incredibly difficult to find venues of a certain scale. Yeah. You can only find really big or really small. Yeah. There's not a lot of that in between and we were yeah. still kind of in between there. But having pulled off the dust bowl, the cost of building the infrastructure and what it did to the bottom line of being able to even survive, we were like, well, if we're going to do this and me and Leah drove around the city for weeks after trying to figure out another venue and we we're like the peony it exists like we knew it exists yeah. it it's built to hold like this is why it exists yeah so we we started reaching out to them and checking and i mean the prices were not what we were used to paying for venues but they weren't like it wasn't to the point where like we checked bc place and we were even like you know yeah. it wasn't bc place <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah on costing so 
Um, it was manageable. It was manageable. We were like, okay, I think based on scale and everything else, we could possibly do this. And and they invited us down to the Peony and gave us a, a bunch of tickets to go walking around and kind of like seeing the it in action. And that's how we landed on that kind of upper garden yeah. area as yeah. well by the by the Hastings Bowls because we're like. Oh man, this could be really cool. This could be the festival we always wanted to make, but never knew how to make. It, the The venue itself is because I I think growing up in in the city, um, you know, you go to the Peony as a kid, and you have this one kind of image of it, right? And the way that the grounds, the festival grounds, kind of flow, where they're they're almost tiered, right? Like yeah. you know, you're up near the the secret garden or whatever, and and then it kind of flows down towards the I guess is the Agrodome, yeah, yeah. bowl. And it's, um, I don't know, it's neat because unlike most festivals, um, which kind of always have this like four by four format, it's, it just has nice flow where you're, you're, you're walking from, from booth to booth. You're not really sandwiched in there, but it still feels busy. Yeah. And you can create like these little pockets of activity all over the place rather than just having one, one kind of, you know, um, entertainment feature to look at while you drink beer. And um, it's really unique that way. I actually, you know, I, it's, it's, I think it's a great location for it. Well, and I think it's probably one of the only reasons why the festival has managed to get to the scale it has. Yeah. Because it's something where you could bring someone who really doesn't give that much of a shit about craft beer and still bring them in and have someone go, yeah, but it's a fun day. Yeah. Like, I, like you know, like I, it's I, a fun day. It, maybe bring your buddy who's going to crush loggers the whole time. <laughs> and that's cool. Like we all sell loggers. We all make money off loggers. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not knocking that factor either. Yeah. Like we need those customers to continue to grow the industry and, and, you know, kind of deglobalize what, what's been happening yeah. in, in beer in general. So in order to like have this shift now happen where you can bring, you know, all all types of people yeah not not just the beer nerds not just the dudes who look like me you know <laughs> walking through the doors and like crushing hazy ipas and 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 like you know lining up at the hypest brewery you know like yeah you, you have a good mix when i think that's a nice thing about vcbw because you guys have it's large enough that you have a good marketing reach um you can do radio advertising you can do all that that you do pull in people that are kind of into craft or like you said just want to have a good day and and for I know for Steel and Oak, we've been around long enough that if you know craft beer, you already know who we are. And so for us now, we're like, okay, well, let's talk to these new people that might not be there yet, right? Yeah. And and try and get them over to the you know to the dark side. I well, guess. But and I notice it, it. Sorry to interrupt, but it's like it, it makes us aware or think of what we're bringing to the festival. You know, when we talk about what the beers we want to bring each year, and I think as VCBW has evolved, it in a way we're no longer going like, okay, it's all IPAs or whatever because the beer nerds want them. It's like, what are those people? who don't know a lot about craft beer want to drink and that's where we go for our maybe it's our like lighter abv fruit forward beers or something because that's kind of those how you're gonna sort of intrigue some of those people that don't uh, i'm always interested in everybody's strategy around that (laughs) i i had one that i i started to formulate a parallel and i think due to the way the catalog at vancouver island brewing's constructed i i think i've been able to like kind of land on it it's a lot easier now that it's kind of like almost all festivals have gone to this like maximum three beers format yes, versus yeah. the like four four yeah. was always like you had this big wild card to fill and, like, <laughs> three just seemed to tighten it up a bit more yeah. and it works great for us because we have our title series which is like our our like where us as a regional brewery 
can try and do something a little bit more nerdy, a little bit more niche, and still retain some of our street cred. Then we have our seasonals, which are just seasonally appropriate products, and then we have our core beers. And because of having those three kind of product lines, yeah. I just go, you got to pull one from each. Yeah. That's why I tell my events person is like, you know, and what's our focus on this quarter and stuff? Because, I mean, we're, we do you know, rather elaborate and robust yearly business plans and blah, blah, blah. So like we've quarterly focuses and blah, all that stuff. But also you can change on the fly. This core beer not doing as well as you think it, you know, should be doing. Well, is it because of exposure? Should you start bringing that to the table? So mm -hmm. for example, this weekend we have our faller, uh, Northwest pale, which I think is a fantastic beer. And you know, it's, as an example, it's like the one that it's one of a couple that Mike at the Drake is glad to pour, yeah. yep. you know, and for being a regional brewery, that's something to be able to yep. get a core beer in yeah. on at, at yeah, the Drake. Definitely. Um, and then we have our, our Blackberry Hellas, just because we know it's a fairly large mixed crowd. And in, in, in this case, we also chose to bring our low ABV uh, Magic Hour Grapefruit Goes. Um, but normally I'd bring a title series in that Goes spot. But yeah. our, our title series right now, frankly, we just sold way too much of it. And it's like, I don't know to bring yeah. to this. Yeah. Fast. That's awesome. What, <laughs> yeah. problem. what are we bringing, Kevin? Uh, we are going to do our. So, yeah, this will be out way after. But uh, Subtropic IPA, which is our basically Galaxy Hop IPA. Yeah. Um, our Smoked Hef, uh kind of a throwback. Yeah, throwback. Um, and then our new, that new, the newest summer release, uh, Vibrant Things, which is oh, our, cool. I guess what we're calling our summer crusher is what we've been referring it to. Low we're ABV. bringing Vibrant Things to VCBW? Yeah. When do we package that? Well, we're getting a few kegs tomorrow. Holy don't shit. Don't worry be, about it. Nice. Don't worry be, about it. Not that it will matter because people listening to this, VCBW yeah, will be yeah, over. It'll but, be gone yeah. and they'll already but be drinking tons yeah, of Vibrant I've sorted things. it out, George. Don't worry. Okay, good. I'm yeah. glad you're on it. Um, I want to get into what you do in your day job pretty quick, but I just want to close off. You know, we're still ta just talking about festivals. Do you, do you feel that there are too many festivals right now in Vancouver and that there needs to be a thinning out or is it just kind of, you know, as long as they're busy, this is great, right? For the industry. Um, where do you see kind of the festival market evolving to? It's sort of a mixed bag. I, it, it's funny because like I try not to like, comment too much on anybody else's festivals as, as someone who owns and operates yep, a festival. Definitely. But at the same time, like being on both sides of the fence as both someone who as a brewery attends festivals and someone who knows how to operate a festival and arguably one of the more successful ones in Canada. Um, it, it's a mixed bag right now. Cause I look at it and go depends on the festival. Yeah, because there's a lot who don't really know what they're doing and the asks are really big. They're asking a lot of the breweries and they're not really like it's not like a partnership and yeah. it's not being yeah. treated properly. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, some of that can be important for breweries like it depends on how you structure your brewery too. like a lot of those festivals are really important to Vancouver Island Brewing because we're a regional and we need to get our name like we we need to keep ourselves broad and hit every territory and that because we got to hope we have distribution points across the province in order to maintain, you know, just keeping the lights on because of the scale of the business. Right. Um, whereas smaller breweries, you know, it I would be a lot more picky and choosy if I was at a brewery of your guys' scale or even even smaller, like a brass neck, I'd be like one or two a year. Yeah, yeah and we are getting pickier this year. Um, you know, I think there's a few festivals that we decided not to attend. Yeah. And 
don't get me wrong, like we, we want to sell beer across BC as well, but you're right, we're not at the same scale. And it just becomes too much to deal with, right? We're not quite large enough where like Kevin deals with the execution of all the events, but he's got a young baby at home. Like he's certainly not going to go to one every weekend and we're not large enough to hire like an events squad, but yet we want our, you know, our beer reps to be able to not have to go on the weekends cause I need them focused on the week. Right. Yeah. And so we're definitely being a little bit choosier. Um, you know, and which is great. It, it, it I think, too, because I think all breweries are starting to do that. And at least with with festivals, um, which I'll admit, most of the festivals that I've ever been to have always been run quite well. And there's always been at least some sort of like, you know, that was worthwhile. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think it'll at least make people, you know, really think about the model they have. And maybe the like you said, the ask, because um, mm-hmm. sometimes the ask is big for what the return is. Um, and I'm hoping that that will kind of not thin things out, but at least make people kind of rethink the the model of, yeah, of exactly. how a festival is run and what the ask should be from the brewery. Yeah. Sorry, I was just going to, just as from an event side of sort of dealing with them, as Jordan said, it's like, you know, I've noticed that the more you do certain events, the more you understand what those events do for you as, as a brewery too. And you can kind of go, okay, well, you know, this one's fun. Sure. But is it, are we just doing it because we're having a good time? Yeah. Or are we actually getting anything out of it? And sort of as a, from a business standpoint, you kind of have to eventually go like, well, we are running a business here, so maybe we need to, you know, nix that one out and, and, and focus on this one or whatever. But I, I think too, like the, <laughs> this is going to maybe sound bad, but the, the less we're asked of as a brewery to do an event, the better, you know, I mean, if, oh, if, yeah. if we really just have to show up and pour some beer and that's good then that that makes my life easier that's for sure yeah. but also helps when they buy the beer yeah that does help yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. For sure. um yeah it's funny even at work we have a it's uh jessica my events person like we we've developed a system where we have like this giant spreadsheet that is like the event tracking doc and it's like what are we booked into when is it blah 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 all the forward facing right but then there's all the post-mortem info that goes with it so it's like how much beer did you bring? How much beer did you actually go through? It like data, data, yeah. data. We, data, we started like, one of those. Yeah, just yeah. There are a lot to maintain. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There are a lot to maintain, and then like at the end of it, like and a lot of it comes from territory managers also having to fill out a post event report and all that fun stuff, and it's like eventually you get this like okay, we did 120 events last year or whatever it may be. And you go through and you're like, okay, near December when you're doing your postmortem and a lot of your business planning for the next year, you go, how many of those were C's and D's? How many of those were B's and A's? And like, if you go, man, we have out of those 60 were A's and like 20 were B's and the rest were crap. Yeah. Cut the crap. Like, and then go for like that. And like, it doesn't mean the events crap. It just means it might be for you because like a great example, not that we could get into it anyway, but if like Farmhouse Fest wanted Vancouver Island (laughs) Brewing or something, we'd show up and sell no beer that day. Yeah. Because like unless for some reason Danny released like the only farmhouse thing we can make in like the course of a couple of years, you know, like that sort of thing. And it was really good. Yeah. Yeah. And talk about an event that's, you know, we've been fortunate enough to get invited to Farmhouse Fest and and um and we did the, the collabor- official collaboration brew last year with Dagra, which is great. And this year, they've changed the model a bit where um, I believe it's ticket price, but it's a... Um, Inclusive. It's a, it's open, on, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, but also from the brewery side, um, they're allowing us to bring as much product as we basically want in certain formats. So like, yeah. there's still an overall volume that they want to purchase, but 
you know, like you said before, there's always kind of like the three rule, three or four beers. This year, they want more variety, but they may only order like a half a, a, yeah. a case yeah. Of, yeah. of something, right? Of, of you know, packaged product of, of, which is neat because, you know, certain things taste better bottle conditioned than they do on a keg. And it, it, it's so I'm, I'm glad to see that it's evolving. It's always a very run. It's been a very well run festival from day one, I feel. Um, and uh, we're always, you know, happy to, to, to go to it. It's one of the few festivals outside of maybe VCBW and, and Great Canadian Beer Festival in Victoria where, like, a lot of our team goes, right? Because yeah. it's, it's fun. It's a yeah, fun day. Yeah, because it's a good fest. It's a good yeah. day. And even if we, you know, if, for whatever reason we didn't get invited one year, I think we'd still go. Yeah. Like, it's, it's a, yeah, it's a totally. great day, right? Let's switch gears. Uh, let's crack this beer, and then we're going to yeah. switch gears. Sounds good. So as you've referenced a few times uh, when we were chatting about festivals, uh, you currently, your day job is with Vancouver Island Brewing. So just kind of take me back to, you were at Parallel 49 before, and what kind of got you over from, from the mainland over to the island, I guess? So Parallel 49 was great, and I loved being there. I mean, I still have a lot of great friends there. Graham's one of my best friends, Graham Witt, the head yeah, he's brewer. Yeah, he's all right. He's, he's an okay guy. Yeah. Um, but... I kind of hit the point there where I was like, I was super happy with the job itself, Mm -hmm. but I knew I had more in me for my career Yeah, and the way they were structured, it's just not, that's not how their business was going to be laid out for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Like I kind of hit my glass ceiling there. Um, and there's a lot of logical reasons for it. You know, the ownership's still heavily involved. They do a lot of the creative decisions. They manage the portfolio. They manage, you know, a lot of the brand related stuff. Like mine was more of an executional role versus like a, a leading the process role. Yeah. Um, and I was like, eh, I'm, you know, like I can't do this for like, this will be my entire career if I mm-hmm. stay here too long and stagnate on it. So I ended up actually getting headhunted. I wasn't really trying to leave, but I got headhunted to go to uh, a hospitality company actually okay. that does uh, festivals and uh, live music and, and hospitality itself. Um, for various reasons I was qualified, but it, it just wasn't the right fit. I didn't enjoy being at the company. Um, just, you, also, you moved to Toronto before I went. Not really. No, I was no. just back and forth. Right. But okay. I, I practically moved to Toronto because yeah, yeah, yeah. they had like an office in Toronto, an office in Vancouver. And I was, I, I think the three months I was there, I probably spent a good six to eight weeks in Toronto. Wow. Yeah. And like anybody who knows me knows I love my dog to death and I have this big goofy dog. And so <laughs> like being away from him all that time was kind of crappy and, uh, I was just like, I don't know what I'm like. It just wasn't a good fit. Yeah. So I, I left. I, I did something that I think everybody was shocked of. And I was like, this isn't right for me. And I just resigned the position. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, but I didn't have anything to go to. I was like, well, beer week's coming up. I'll do beer week stuff, you know, and then I'll figure it out. Yeah. But like, I kind of not been involved in that year's beer week nearly as much as I, I would have wanted to be. Um, but beer week's one of those things you're in or you're out. You can't be a passenger on uh, at at the higher levels on that on that boat because you just make things worse. You don't help the process. So I came in and kind of filled some holes in the last minute and kind of helped them, you know, complete that year's beer week. And I was thinking about starting up an agency just because that was my prior life was doing consulting in in video games and various other things. I'm like, and I had all these contacts and I I functionally had an idea on how I would structure uh, a 
branding agency or an agency that would focus on craft breweries, not just branding, but like mm -hmm. marketing help, et cetera. Right. Yeah. Um, and I actually like got a name, like started the process. And then like, right as I was about to move forward with it, um, I got approached by someone and they were like, so here's an NDA. And I was like, okay. Sign in is like, do you want to be the marketing director for Vancouver Island Brewing? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I need to know more what's happening. It's like, well, it's being bought by this gentleman, Bob McDonald, who also happens to own Muskoka Brewing in Ontario. I was like, okay, now I'm listening. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and we went through the process. It was like, well, what's happening? Because like up until that point, the reason why I had trepidation was Vancouver Island Brewing was a fantastic brand but it just kind of stopped when craft yeah. beer hit. Yeah. Like it, it was doing things like 2008, 2009, it was still a going concern. And I was like, I was drinking their beer. Yeah. But then as the industry evolved and beer week started to happen, every, like being a guy who runs fest, every time they'd show up to a fest, it would be Piper's Sea Dog Hermes, yeah. Piper's yeah. Sea Dog. Like, yeah. and like they kind of got into big bombers and then they went away and yeah. like they, they just seemed rudderless in terms of in their it, yeah. direction yeah. and like didn't know what to do. And I, you know, I came to understand that was a large part because the ownership built the brand based on this theory of like Sleeman brewing and oh, like, okay. okay, spring and all that. Like that was kind of their graduating class, huh. but they're the one who didn't really make it big in yeah. some senses. So like you look yeah. at it and you go, oh, you're still running that playbook, hoping yeah. it'll work at some point. Yeah. Um, and it was designed to be much larger than it is. So like bombers are like everything we do there is really tough to do the craft beer scale, like the really cool. Small yeah. Cause stuff. how big's the brew house? 128 hectares. That's fucking insane. <laughs> yeah. It's 10 times the size of your like average craft, like That's mom yeah, and pop crazy. craft breweries yeah. brew house. So like our minimum batch size is 80 heck. Yeah. Wow. Um, so anyway, but like throughout the process, I was like, okay, there's some really cool opportunity there. I'm going to go. And I picked up my life and I moved to the island. Um, part of it was because I was at Central City from the brew pub to the big brewery. And then I left and I went to parallel from like six or 7,000 heck to like 24, 25 when I left. Yeah. And you start to go at some point in your career, am I this good or did I just hop on trains that were going there anyway? <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Like, am, it, did I actually have any influence in the process of these right. brands becoming as big as they did? Yeah. Well, hopping on a new brand, you could catch lightning in a bottle again. Resurrecting the dead. That there's no question that like you as part of a team that can build it, yeah. but like, you know, especially on something as important as brand and marketing, you got to be good or it's yeah. like, or it's going to fail. Yeah. Do you feel like you've resurrected the dead yet? Uh, we're th thankfully on our way after a, a much failed first go around. Can which you talk about that? Like I we, can, we, don't, yeah, we don't need I, to beat it to death. I actually I did something called fuck up nights in, in, uh, Victoria, which you get up with other like C-suite level people and like talk about your biggest fuck up. So, <laughs> so let's talk about it. Yeah. Let's talk about it. I'm, I, I know everybody in the industry is down and I can't talk to like down to find out what actually happened. I can't talk to all of them. So they here, this will yeah. be the interesting forum. For Great. Them. Okay. So you're at Vancouver Island and you guys do this rebrand. And I think most of us in the industry were like, the fuck? Yeah, it was bad. And, <laughs> yeah. and um, so how did that process, how did you get there to, to, the, to VI or to six? So what ended up happening was I got brought on to the company and then um, by 
someone who I'll just call El Presidente. That's fine. Yeah, we don't need to. <laughs> we throw don't anybody need to throw the, anybody yeah. under the bus. Um, and he's the reason why I went there. Like he's the reason I knew that it was getting purchased. He was the guy who wanted me to come be his marketing director. And so ultimately, what we ended up doing was we. I went in and I was like, we talked about like some of the vision of what we could do and where this brand would go and, and, and the process. Cause right. like Bob's, the owner is a very process oriented person, very fantastic, like fantastically successful business person. So like we hired a strategy company, we did market research, we did all the right things that you need to do in order to like, you know, take those next steps and rebuild a, a regional level brewery. Uh, but along the way, there were inklings of things being like, I'm like, we're going against what we basically figured out here. Yeah. Um, and I was kind of confused by it. And we had this really good branding agency and I could tell they weren't liking what was happening and I wasn't liking what was happening. Um, and the Coles notes is the, the president was basically dictating what the brand was going to be. Right. I think in hindsight, my, my opinion is I don't know if he ever wanted to be at Vancouver Island Brewing. He wanted his, he wanted a brewery to run and this was as close as he was going to get right. handed to him. Right. So he kind of like abandoned the Vancouver Island thing altogether, or like made Vancouver the largest word, which was very weird. Yeah. And there was all these weird and like the hexagon and getting rid of the whale, which I was for, but I, it's funny, the agency we worked with, uh, they did the Earl's rebrand. Okay. Yep. And they did a fantastic yep. job of it. Earl's went, from my opinion, of the like, you know, uh, chain, you know, fast casual restaurants as like the um, the worst of the big three in terms of how their brand was. And like, it was just boring and uninteresting. Yeah, and right. then you would have like Cactus and Joey. Well, when that branding company did the rebrand, I think they jumped into first place in terms of like their image. Um, and I was like, and look what they did. They took all these elements from their past and reused them in really cool, artful ways. So, like, they have these really cool parrots, like right. line-drawn parrots and, like, rhinos and all this yeah. stuff. And they embraced their ridiculous Which is the that I past. remember, right? Yeah. The yeah. one in North Van there with the, the parrots outside, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, huh. I was excited for that, and we were excited for that. And I showed the, the agency, like, we brought them around and showed them, like, because there's 30 years of history in that place. Yeah. And we showed them everything and they were like, oh, we get it. There's this, because the brewery used to be called Island Pacific Brewing Company before it was Vancouver okay. Island Brewing. Yeah, I didn't know For that. like five years or yeah. something before. And they had this logo, which was like a wave, a uh, tree and a mountain. And it was gorgeous. Yeah. Like everybody has this like nostalgic feel for this logo. And so the designer was like, I can retake this and I can like, let's rebuild the brewery mm -hmm. in like kind of this fashion, giving it that what's old is new again and retro but cool feel like they did with the Earl's branding and we were all for it and we were moving forward with it and then it just hit a wall and like it was like no we need to be sharper we need to like forget the past we need to move forward like and that's yeah. what we kept hearing and eventually I was driving in my uh, SUV like going up island for an event and I had Danny next to me Danny's our production manager and I'm talking to this, the president about the brand itself and like, we cannot come to an agreement on this thing. And I cross this bridge that goes from like, uh, it's in the Couch and Valley and you like cross this bridge to get into Duncan 
and I joked that's when you cross that bridge all dreams die um, <laughs> and I, I gave up at that moment I was like fine what if we did this okay we'll do that and yeah. like I knew it was shit but I had an interesting call with uh, with uh, Bob's right hand man like a few weeks before just being like I'm not trying to tell tales out of school I'm asking a right-hand man to a right-hand man, what do you do in this situation? Because we're not agreeing on this brand and I don't know what to do. And he was like, and to uh, his credit, he was like, you know, ultimately the president's the president for a reason. We brought him in. Your job is to advise and and, and steer as best you can. But yeah, the but final was, call yeah. lies with the president. And once it's done, you got to own it and you got to make the best out of it you possibly can. Yeah. And so that's what I did. Yeah, like, and you I, did I, a good job. Yeah. I remember, I remember that. I remember seeing you at uh, Great Canadian Beer Festival with the new brand. And, and yeah, you, you know, even though, you know, you and I know each other and you could have told me what you really thought, you, you owned it, right? Which is, you know, which is Well, I think that's what saved my job, to be quite frank, during the <laughs> process, too. is because, like, I tried to make the best I possibly could yeah. out of that brand. Yeah. And so to the point where even when, like, our new president, Dave Nichols, came in, who's a fantastic guy and maybe one of the best bosses I ever had. And we were having like one of our first like one-on-one -on -one meetings after we hired him. I was like, so what do you think of the brand? And we were already in the process of the new brand, the one with the whales that everybody yeah. sees so, now. Sorry. And so how, how quickly was that turnaround was like from the rebrand until, okay, we're going to um, rebrand again. We were from like launch of rebrand to launch of rebrand. It would have been 14 months right, from yeah. decision to relaunch, like decision yeah, yeah. of this isn't working to relaunch. The president left. Yeah. And then uh, <laughs> and then we were looking for a new president and we started rebranding right, right away. So okay. it was from like November 17 to we were on market by April 18. Got it. So even wow. shorter timeline than the original turnaround. Huh. Wow. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It was it was a. It was a long couple of years. It must have been expensive. Very expensive. Yeah. Very Just thinking expensive. of all the packaging yeah. and everything. Well, we went to an agency that's very expensive, too, on the, like, flip over, too. Yeah. So, like, mm. um, who are great, 123 West, they're fantastic. But they, you know, they do, they do big stuff, and they come with big price tags. Yeah. And rightfully so, but, like, you know, this entire debacle was not a, not a you know, yeah. affordable thing, we'll say. So you're meeting with the new president, and... You're you're talking about the brand and what the you brand the the hexagon brand. Yeah. And I was like, so what do you think of it? He's like, here's the thing. I know he's like, I feel for you because he's a marketer too. He, yeah. he came from that's his background. Um, he's like, I feel for you because, uh, you know, it's it's not good, and you had to go and eat it. Yeah. For like, just go out there with a smile on your face like a jackass for, yeah. <laughs> for like a year and a half. <laughs> I was like, yeah. He's like. The thing is, though, because I was also trying to gauge, is this guy going to just up and cam me? Like, yeah. he, he knew I wouldn't blame him for cleaning house and, like, starting fresh, yeah. even though we had already kind of started on the branding. And he was like, he's like, the thing is, it's bad because it's bad for Vancouver Island Brewing. He's like, it's actually executionally not bad. Mm -hmm. He's like, if you took that brand and put it in Toronto and called it the six yeah. brewing and yeah, like, yeah. and used your core color blocking and fonts. Yeah. He's like, yeah. there's nothing wrong executionally yeah. about it. It is straight from the master brand, high level concept and strategy is yeah. the problem, not the execution. And he's like, so here's a weird thing. It's terrible, but you did a great job. 
Awesome. <laughs> well, that's, well, that's nice. Yeah, so. and I think I know, like from an from an outsider's point of view, um, you know, when I saw it, I immediately thought, okay, well, these guys are doing this to try and gain more traction in Vancouver. And in my mind, because you know, Vancouver Island has got this history, it, it was like, oh man, I hope that Victoria doesn't feel like they're throwing it in their face. They've they've supported them for thirty years, and yeah, I know yeah. that things have to change, but. Um, I'd always felt like, oh, are they just, they're not like, well, we're kind of done with you, Vancouver Island. We're now, yeah. we're going to move to Vancouver with the big dogs, uh, yeah. right? Which is like, you know, and, whereas Victoria's got this wonderful history of brewing and all the, the big dogs are in Victoria originally, yeah. right? Yeah. And so, um, it, which is which is why, like, I'm glad you guys did the second rebrand because I quite like it. It's got this heritage feel to it, yet it's still kind of modern Up, and forward yeah, moving. updated. And, yeah. I, and I think it, I think it does the proper thing, which is, you know, it it ties you to the Vancouver Island, um, yeah. but it's still cool enough that you know, people that aren't from Vancouver Island are be like, I like that. That seems good. I think I'll pull that. And I'll mm-hmm. I'll try it today. Right. Exactly. And I mean, th- this is one of the tough things. One of the parts that was so hard with the six thing is because you're exactly right, and that's exactly how I felt too. Is that we're abandoning the island altogether? Well, I yeah. remember thinking like, "Oh, people going to be mad." Yeah. Like, uh, oh, and know. they were, and they rightfully <laughs> were. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But. I, you know, luckily I got a second crack at it because I remember having meetings before I even moved to the island. Yeah. And I remember meeting with the uh, head of, uh, she's now head of content, the director of content, but she was the director of marketing for Destination BC at the time, who's a friend of mine, and was like, you know, we were talking about the brewery. I'm like, it's got to be, with a name like Vancouver Island Brewing, we have to be destination Vancouver Island like that should be our marketing thing it's like celebrating how incredibly awesome Vancouver Island is and so the fact that we didn't do it and we failed so hard at it like it ate at my soul I I remember my girlfriend was like you're in an abusive relationship because the amount of things I'd be like it's better today and like (laughs) I'd come into work and like she's like you're saying classic like abusive relationship (laughs) things and I would have like panic attacks going into work because I hated it so much yeah Um, but you know, I also moved there. There's like, I, I kind of in some ways, thank God, cause I couldn't run. I had to fight it out. And luckily I got the opportunity to now not just recover my own reputation, but recover that brand. And we're well on the way to like bringing that brand back to prominence, not just on the Island, but uh, across British Columbia and Western Canada. And we're, you know, we last year, with the launch of the rebrand, we were the first year that brewery didn't decline in sales in seven years. It, wow. That was, last year was the bottom out, was the transition yeah. from the hex to the whale. Yeah. Now we're on growth. Great. And so hopefully we continue to grow over a number of years and kind of get it back to where it was, if not larger. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, so that, that in itself is like, you know, now I'm starting to go, okay. It's funny. The question was, am I as good as I think I am? And like now that I'm more on a senior leadership team and like look at all of the pieces together, you go. It's a weird question to ask yourself because it's all team. Yeah. There's nothing like yeah. no individual carries the ball, but no. an individual can torpedo the whole thing. Yeah. Which is weird. But like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, no, that's a great analogy. Yeah. You're right. It only takes one person to ruin it. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, you need a good team. But not a single person can carry it. No, not at all. No, definitely not. And and at least not with confidence, right? Because I mean, I think there's, there's, you know, unless you're an idiot, there's nobody around that thinks they know all the answers, right? And so you you need a good team to, you know, to help, yeah, to help steer the ship. And I think you guys have done a really good job with with the rebrand. And I think it makes it just, the fact that you guys changed, you rebranded again so quick, 
and you almost admitted you're like we fucked up guys oh yeah we know we are sorry and i think it, it was one of the few instances where you're like you you accept the apology and you're like this is great i'm i'm rooting for these guys yeah now. right like they it takes a lot of um it, it takes a lot of guts to just be like fuck sorry we fucked up and we're gonna fix it yeah. and businesses fuck up too just like people do and um and so, and, and I, I think, and you guys, the rebrand looks great. Um, and I really, it's what, you know, obviously you guys should have done from the beginning, which yeah. you know. <laughs> and, um, but I think from an outsider's point of view, you're like, it makes the, the brand almost now feel more, um, yeah, you're like, you're rooting for them, right? And it also feels too, I know you got, you said you got this 120 hectoliter brew house, which I know means that you have to make big batches of beer, obviously. But the, the, new, um, the new brand makes you look, like you're still a, a proper craft brewery yeah. while still having regional appeal, which I know that you, you guys need, right? Yeah. And um, and so you're over on the island now and you've worked in Vancouver and you've worked in beer on the island. Do you notice a significant difference between how island breweries operate and the island market is compared to over here on the lower mainland? Yeah, dramatically different. What are those main differences, um, do you think? And I mean, it's changing. It depends on, on the scale that you're talking at, but I think... Two of the things I noticed right away is in terms of the island, the island is fiercely loyal to the island. Yes. Like if it's not island, it's crap. Yeah. Like it's very like which is wonderful. Jokingly Scottish. Yeah. And I, I'm not saying that as a negative thing. I, I believe that's a that's a positive for sure. Yeah. Um, but it's a reality. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like so, um, you know, it, it causes problems for those off island. And like we had we threw out a bunch of fierce loyalty. Yes. That we're now working to recapture and and people are open to it because we did the Mia Copa. Yeah. You know, like I threw up my hands and said, I screwed up. Yeah. And I've gone and done things like fuck up night and like we openly talk about how we. So what can you tell us quickly it. before I and I yeah. want to make sure I don't lose track. But what is fuck up night? Because it sounds awesome. So <laughs> it, it started in Mexico, but it's licensed city to city. Yeah. Um, and what they do is a, this one's run by Viatech, which is a like a software incubator in in Victoria. And it's just taking uh, owners of companies, CEOs, CMOs, like C-suite people. Basically, there's no beating up a middle manager type scenario. Yes. And it's to go, hey, everybody fucks up. And here's the biggest fuck up of one of the ones I went to before the one I went on was like the lady who owns Better With Ice Cream. Okay. And the lady who owns Fatso Peanut Butter. And this guy who owns like some crazy software company. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, like they go through and it's. It's the who's who in this case of Victoria. Yes. If not the entire island in some cases. And then there's others where it's, um, and then they have them across, like they're licensed across the country in various places around the world. And you get up and you have seven minutes and you do a PowerPoint presentation, but it's not like bullet points and like, here's yeah. my, you know, presentation. It's yeah. more like make it funny, make it earnest, yeah. make it honest. Yeah. And like tell the story of how you really fucked up like something up so like uh, mine was about i divided mine into two here's how we fucked up as vancouver island brewing and fucked up the brand and like the mistakes that we made and the things we ignored and the missteps throughout right. the process and then the other half was how i fucked up and it was about my relationship with the president how i didn't push back harder how i gave up how i didn't fight hard enough how i didn't believe in myself like like all of those pieces that led to kind of the first part 
Yeah. You know? Which right. probably feels wonderful to get off your chest. Incredibly cathartic. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. I bet. Kevin, I totally forget what we were talking about before. Can you remind me why I went uh, off on that You were tangent? asking him about the differences between Victoria, oh, the, the island, and, and, and yeah, the mainland. So there's yeah. the, the loyalty of the, of the population of the island. Yeah. yeah. Um, to the point where, like, Lucky's still a thing. Because everybody thinks Lucky is still made on the island, even though it hasn't been <laughs> in like over 20 years. Yeah, yeah. they do love um, it. They so that's the it. trick, is to get them to think that steel and oak is partly made on Vancouver yeah, Island. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Just name a beer something like, uh, yeah. I don't know. I can't think of <laughs> I'm sure else. they'd love that if a British Just call, it, just call it Vancouver Island's... <laughs> Yeah. Royal City Ale. Hey, <laughs> See what go. happens. It's funny because, like, as uh, you know, as the owner of a brewery that sells beer to Vancouver Island, I've always thought that our island sales should be better than they actually are, based on the trends everywhere else where we sell beer. Yeah. And but it's definitely not the case. You're, you're fighting the Holy Trinity. Yeah, and then, which is Hoyne Driftwood and Phillips. oh yeah, right. <laughs> and it's it's fucking crazy because again, you know, it, it also speaks to like inexperience as well, like. I love Victoria and I go over there all the time. And, and as you know, I'm, I'm Steel and Oaks opening a, uh, um, a collaboration brewery over there. That's not a Steel and Oak brewery. So don't worry, Victoria. We're not trying to come in and say, hey, we're Steel and Oak in New here. West. We're yeah, here yeah. now. <laughs> um, but uh, because I loved Victoria so much, I'm like, I want them to love me back just as much as I love them. Right. And and it actually really fucked with my mind a little bit because. I was like, okay, what are we doing incorrectly here on Vancouver Island? Now, granted, our Vancouver Island sales has actually increased quite a bit over the last year and a half, and and I, I wish I knew why, um, but they're they're at a decent spot now where I'm at least you know proud. But I field so many phone calls from other um, Lower Mainland breweries that have representation on Vancouver Island asking, hey, how do you like your representation out there? Is it working well for you? Because obviously all of the lower mainland breweries are wondering why they're not selling as much beer over there that they think they should be. And the answer is, is because this is working the way that this industry should work, is that you should be local and you want your new West is always going to buy more steel and oak than they are other craft breweries. It's just the way it's going to work. And and so it's cool that Vancouver Island operates that way. it sucks when you're trying to grow your business from the mainland over there, but but I, overall, in the grand scheme of things, it's great. Well, and it's twofold because, like, one, it is the loyalty of the consumer, but two, it's also that business to business aspect where, like, it's really hard for you guys to get the the salesperson with like 10, 15, 20 years worth yeah. of relationships yeah. because they're working for one of us. They're working for one of the local breweries. Like, they're not working for some off island brewery. Because they they are loyal to their own breweries as well, and they're the ones who carry the relationships. And this industry is relationship based, but really I've is, yeah. never seen anything like it on the island. Yeah, interesting. Like it's bizarre, especially on on, on draft too, right? I'm, yeah, I'm sure it's incredibly. It's, yeah, the amount of draft yeah. we move on the island is we we sell to Mike at the Drake, yeah, and um and and you know it's Smiths and there's a few other a ones dribble here and there. Yeah, yeah, but but the reality of it is it's all package product for mm-hmm. sure. You know, and it's because the islands, the islands, the island, man. Yeah. Um, and then the other aspect of it that I think is interesting or, or different, kind of the brewery to brewery aspect, is we're not we're not enemies, but we're not as friendly. No, I know this side. Like yeah. where we, you know, and that's starting to change. I mean, having me and Danny at Vancouver Island, we've kind of made it our mission to like build relationships with at least anybody smaller than us. Yeah. Some of the ones bigger than us. 
it's not like we can't ask them for a yeast pitch or whatever, but like, it's not like we're going to go hang out. They don't want to collab often like that, that yes. you know, that kind of thing. And it's, that's fine. And I think it comes from the fact that like they all established before this craft beer thing was for a sure, thing. They had to fight. And the fact yeah. that we have three, two, three to five regional breweries in Victoria yeah. makes it like, yeah, it's going to be savagely fear like it's fierce competition yeah, I mean, is not that big it's not know? that big yeah. especially to have the largest craft brewery in canada yes in phillips yeah followed by like driftwood and hoyne who are, are absolute right. yeah. beasts yeah. yeah and then like us and lighthouse who you know we've had our struggles but we're still in the game you know in yeah. some one way or another well, and you're like that's a lot of and like you go to a bar and everybody has the holy trinity they have yes. phillips driftwood and hoyne absolutely everywhere yeah. Um, so then like even then you, then you guys are competing against us, right? Well, for sure. That's the other part yeah. is like, we're not competing against Phillips, Driftwood and Hoyne. Cause we're never going to yeah, get you're them You're not even out. in the no, conversation yeah, know, with them. So like, it, like then, when, <laughs> yeah. yeah, whenever we go over for like, we were talking earlier about great Canadian beer festival. And I think it's so funny that you go over there and I assume that all these people that live in Victoria are going to be so stoked that these mainland breweries are over for the festival, but then you look over at the Phillips tent and it's like a mile long lineup yeah, and you're I, like, you guys can have this all the time. I, I still remember. So it was the second VCBW that we went to and, um, but it was like the first real VCBW that we were at. Right. And we were, we had got some really good press and, and I remember that taking the photo and we definitely had the biggest lineup that year of VCBW. And I was like, all right, we're, this is it. We're doing this. And then a short three months later, we go to Great Canadian Beer Festival in Victoria, and our booth is set up. Uh, we're beside Swans, and um, our booth is set up right at the front entrance. And I'm there ready to pour, and they open the gates, and I'm like literally rubbing my hands together, being like, here we go, here we go, get ready, boys, it's coming. And the, everybody just basically, it was like being in like one of those old um, like Braveheart scenes where like the other, the, the other team is just running towards you like, okay, we're going to fight. We're going to fight. And then everybody just runs past you. And you're yeah. like, what the fuck? <laughs> and I looked around. I'm like, where'd everybody go? <laughs> and they're all lined up. And I looked like to my left and Swans has got this lineup. And yeah. I'm like, you can get Swans any day any you day. people yeah. want. Like, what's the deal? And I'm like, and after a while, I'm like, this is great, actually. Like, you know, this is it's incredible. amazing. It's right? amazing. It's weird yeah but it's a like it's yeah. it's not a negative thing it's just it's one of those things that like yeah it, it i've been there three years i appreciate it but i still have trouble wrapping my head around some of the like like deeper layers of those loyalties where you're like if you're like for example if you're insert restaurant here would you want to be maybe not the only guy pouring one of the like for sure like and it's nothing against their beers they're yeah. on tap everywhere for a yeah. reason this isn't a knock on like Hoyne or Driftwood but like if absolutely every single person has Driftwood or yeah. sorry uh, Hoyne Pilsner on yeah would you not try and be the one place that doesn't yeah and it's yeah. like but no everybody has blue buck fat tug and pills <laughs> yeah it's just I had universal a blue buck last time i was in victoria it was like the first time i'd had one in a very long time and it was kind of like nostalgic i had a blue buck at phillips actually oh, yeah, yeah, yeah when i was there last it was great yeah and especially right, that todd's there well right from the source it's super fresh <laughs> and it's like yeah it's it's uh oh an interesting side like phillips story um so vcbw the first year i remember matt phillips 
who obviously is like a legend in our industry, um, he came made a made a um, he he made it a point to come up to our booth and shake my hand and be like, "Hey, Jordan, right? Welcome, welcome to to BC Craft Beer, basically." And I was so incredibly impressed that a he knew my name and that he came up and did that. And I was like, that was like the first moment where I was like, this is a rad industry to be a part of, Yeah, you yeah. know? And so I always have the deepest respect for, for, for Matt and what he's been able to achieve at Phillips. And, um, and it's, it's interesting. You talk about how the Island is islands, all business, mm-hmm. right? I think in the lower mainland, we enjoyed this like revolution. Like, you know, obviously you were part of with P 49 where everybody's just growing. So we're all buddies, you know, high five and, and we didn't actually understand that this is a business yet. Yeah. <laughs> We're just making beer, trying to keep up. And I remember we bought our, our um, uh, I won't go into the story on how because it's a long one, but basically I was in Denver in a limo with the Driftwood guys and with Kevin and Jason. And um, we, needed, we weren't open yet, but we needed a keg washer. And they had an old keg washer they needed to sell. So we bought their keg washer. And I remember Pete and I, uh, our original brewer, took the, the ferry over to Driftwood. And we bought the keg washer and in my mind, and I don't know, I didn't know enough yet. I was like, Oh, we're going to hang out and have some beers. But Kevin, Jason, they're, they're all business, right? They're like, this is great. They gave us a nice tour. They showed us around. And then that was the end of it. And it was very transactional. And at first I was like, Oh, okay. But then afterwards I'm like, fuck, I respect those dudes so much just because they already got it. Like they already know what we know now. Right. Whereas Mm -hmm. this is work. And when you get to a certain size, or, or you've been in the business this long. And I mean, for us, it's only been five years, but it's a, it's a business. People forget yeah. that. Right. Yeah, and, exactly. and you have things to do and you have a finite time to achieve it in. Right. And, um, and so I was always really impressed and, uh, just how like, just, they were, it was a business, right. I'm like, Oh, I should have learned that earlier that like, okay, this is, this is how you operate one of these things. Right. And, I think that's uh, funny that you say that though, because everything people say about the Island is it's the opposite of people that live there is Island time, you know? So yeah, yeah. in the craft beer scene, it's different. It's business, but I everything think it's else. It's maybe chill. like, it, it's probably a bit of both though. Cause it's like one of the reasons why, um, it's so tight in the business sense is like a lot of people, they want to go home and do their island life yeah, thing. Yeah, they sure. don't want to like, yeah, that's fair. so they're like, okay, well if I stick around and do the beers and the hangout and the like, and enjoy the scene, then I'm not getting home to my family. I'm not going to the garden. I'm not, you know, yeah. going to one of the thousand beaches we have. Cause yeah. the entire place is ringed with beaches. Yeah. Um, like, or whatever, yeah. whatever it may be. So, yeah. because I, it's definitely, it's not, you know, people definitely like their leisure on the island and like the like four o'clock punch out is real <laughs> it's a real thing <laughs> yeah. you know but when it's work time it's work time yeah yeah well because yeah. it's getting expensive to live there too so you got to make money yeah exactly yeah. um we're we're almost uh running up against the clock i want to ask a couple more questions where do you think beer in bc is headed uh well it's funny because i listened to your first episode and i actually called you like, yeah right after i listened to it because i was like this is bang on and i agree um and it's one of those, I think we still have more room to grow. I think there can still be more breweries. I, I just see it getting more and more town level related. So like how you guys are, you know, you sell elsewhere. You're going to be on the bigger side, I would even hazard to say. I think we will be, yeah. Yeah. Um, not regional, but no. like of the small guys, one of the big small guys. Kind of yeah. like Yellow Dog, yeah. right? Um, 
but like it's about your immediate town it's not about um you know trying to get province-wide distribution and competing at the level that like you know vancouver island brewing's trying to get back or parallel and phillips are, are currently in and yeah. even like some of the ones like you know driftwood and hoyne have some interesting steps ahead of them because they were kind of like they were regional size still playing the cards of a of a more smaller brewery maybe not in how they operate they're very sophisticated operators but like you know very bomber format yeah and draft and like so you know that's gonna have to shift for them and you're seeing it hoyne's got six pack bottles out now driftwood has four pack tall cans and fat tug in seven thousand formats and <laughs> yeah you know that sort of thing so it's kind of like i think there will be Something's got to give on the regionals, and I don't know what it is, but I really hope it's not Vancouver Island Brewing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I also think we, you know, we're we're built to uh, to weather the storm, and and we're very strategically sophisticated, and 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 I like to think we know what we're doing. Um, but you know, if I was going to open a brewery tomorrow myself, I would find a town with ten thousand ish people. And like open something small and do like two thousand heck and maybe like a couple can releases and yeah. sell most of it out the front door. Try and get the biggest tasting lounge you can get, or burn a tide house and open a restaurant in the same building, whatever that may be. Yeah, you know whatever your local licensing will be, and like, you know, kind of treat it more less of a consumer packaged goods industry and more of a hospitality industry. Yeah, um, I think that is the future because like. I go back to my hometown, which is Rosslyn, BC, and like Rosslyn Brewing Company is killing it. But they're like, I'm guessing 1,500 hectoliters at the most. Wow, yeah. Like, you know, like, but they're, and they're slaying it, and everybody's super proud, and they love that they have yeah. their own brewery in that town and like yeah. cool little mountain town. And that town's got 2,500 people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's near enough to some 10,000 and 15,000 populations that it's not like 2,500 literally in the middle of nowhere. It's in the Kootenai region, yeah. West Kootenai region. But, you know, I think you can make a real go at it if you treat it more like hospitality and less like, you know, for those people who are looking to like play the regional game, they got a lot to learn. Because there's a lot of pieces to that puzzle, and you're not in hospitality and making cool beer anymore. You're also, that's part of it, but you're also in consumer packaged goods manufacturing. Mm -hmm. Yes. And everything that goes along with it. Mm -hmm. And it, it's ultimately, there's so many things where, like, it kind of drives me nuts sometimes being in a regional. One, because I think I'm more my personality is a bit more aligned with the smaller brewery in terms of, like, what I enjoy on a day-to-day -day basis versus, like what i do at work but there's some beers that like we can't make we just can't make them because i can't i look like me and daniel talk about it and go well we got to sell 80 hectoliters of it and there's some beers that are super cool and like the nerds will rave about and like all that stuff and you're like even if we had the equipment to make it which is even questionable just due to the way the brewery is designed because yeah. it was designed to make five percent crystal clear lagers yes yeah, yeah. Um, but like, even then, uh, it's a matter of like, can I sell, can we sell 80 heck of it? And even if we can, is it profitable enough to justify the, the, like keeping the lights on? Cause we've got 40 plus people we have to keep employed and like, you know, our overheads are not small. Like our hydro bill over the last 
four months is probably more than the operating cost of some breweries. Like, yeah, so, yeah. you know, or, or our Fortis bill rather, cause that's yeah. the one that's been hurting lately. But so, you know, there's a lot more to it. Um, and I don't know when you sit around, like if, if you're listening to this right now and you're like, I want to open a brewery and maybe even have the chops and I'm not saying you don't like, or you have the passion or whatever. I don't know if you want to get into it to be in a consumer manufacturing business because that's a different business. It definitely is. And I think people, you answered my second question actually in, uh, in that, uh, that last sentence about advice to, to somebody opening a new brewery. I think that it gets away from you fast. You open a brewery with this idea that you're like, okay, well, we're going to make all these cool beers and people are going to come to the taste room and drink them. And we're lucky enough here at our brewery that, that a lot of them do, but, uh, 33% 33% of my overall volume at Steel and Oak is the tasting room, which yeah. is high, which is very high. Um, but that's still 70 or 67% of my beer causes probably 95% of my headaches. Yeah. And, um, and so, you know, which is crazy and it's also the lowest margin beer, right? So it's, you're doing all this work for, for not that much. Yeah. And, and, uh, so I, I agree. I, you know, I like the size that Steel and Oak is at. Um, I think we grew fast because we had to. But maybe if I had a little bit more experience, I would have put the brakes on a little bit and been like, okay, well, you know what? Let's manage this growth a little bit better than we yeah. do. We were just trying to keep up, right? And uh, and I look, we've got those 100 heck tanks against the one wall. And I'm like, you know, it'd really look cool if there was just barrels against that wall. But... You got to, I have to make enough Royal City Ale to, you know, to, to basically feed the beast. Well, yeah, Yeah. exactly. Right. Which is, which is cool. Um, but at the same point in time, I'm with you. There's something very cool about being like, you know, a a brewery in a town where you're their, their community hub and their spot. Right. And I think that that's the game. It's, you're right. It's hospitality. It's a great way to explain it is, is making people feel welcome in your space and enjoying what you have to offer. And, um, and probably taking a little bit to go. So. Well, and you have so much more control over everything, the experience, the product, the like all of that. Whereas, you know, you, you get on a, a regional scale and you're like, well, you're selling, you're sending beer to and, you know, Enderby. Yeah. And you're like, well, it could shelf turd on you. And it has nothing to do with the product. Mm-hmm. And then the like one dude who's passing through Enderby to go to the lake. Yeah. Grabs a six pack and is like, this is crap. And it's because it's stale dated yeah. because it's on the bottom shelf behind a lucky logger display or what, or whatever yeah. it may be. In yeah. that case, it'd probably be a, a Kokanee or a OK Springs <laughs> display. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, there's the regional, the consumer packaged goods manufacturing business is complex. And like, I'm super happy I'm learning it. It, it, it is the thing that is allowing me to not have that glass ceiling that I talked about way back in the beginning as yep. to why I, I chose to leave parallel. You know, I'm, I'm, I like to joke that I'm going to the Bob McDonald, uh, masters, you know, program, <laughs> yeah. um, and getting my, my on the ground MBA, but it's complex. And I, I don't think everybody's necessarily built to do it because it's extremely stressful and there's always something new, whether it's, you know, health and safety on the scale of a brewery that size gets 10 times more complex hr related things like we're going for core certification we have all these other standards we're thinking of doing b corp which you know good on um uh the folks at Fieldhouse for for 90 percent of my job but in terms of actual in office hours it's probably 50 percent yeah 
Like, it's just a very complex and difficult business to make work. Yeah. And so, you know, and not saying that having a smaller, smaller thing isn't difficult. I'm just saying, like, that in itself is extremely difficult. So doing regional is can be some people I don't think are prepared for what it actually no, they're, entails. The problems that you don't really necessarily want to deal with when you're trying yeah. to open a craft brewery. So um, I'm going to end it there. And I want to thank uh, our guest today, Chris from Vancouver Island. Chris, how do you pronounce your last name? Because I always butchered it. I call it Chris Bjergard. <laughs> North American's Bjergard. There you go. Remember that. Um, so thanks again, Chris, for being on the show. This is Beer Life with Jordan Foss. Oh, oh, oh.